Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Edge Sadoka and Michael Dryden. This week, we take a look at the carbon cost of football, the effects of climate change on the game and what football is doing to help tackle the crisis. And we discuss whether football is doing enough to lower its carbon footprint. A disclaimer on that one, it actually isn't, but you can uh, listen on to find out how <laughs> and why. But before we start, Please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Jordan, how are you doing? Not bad. That was a very cinematic introduction. Uh, quite liked it for what is quite a dramatic podcast. Quite a deep one. It is a deep one, to be fair. So it's, a, it's a big switch up from talking about the worst Premier League teams in Didier and Dong. That's for sure. It very much is, but equally as depressing for me because obviously Sunderland came uh, three times in the top ten for the worst Premier League teams in history. But we'll uh, we'll swiftly move on. I'm I'm not bad. I'm on the topic of Sunderland. I went to Cambridge United away on Saturday. We won, but it was freezing. It was so cold. Um, standing um, standing stand. That's the way you refer to it as. Uh, so. It was a blast of the past and go to an old school stadium. But yeah, it was really, it was Baltic, man. It was so cold. We won, thankfully, but the players did not want to be there. We've got guys on loan from, I mean, it's a guy on loan from um, Union Berlin. I think he was just looking around thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, got got three points. We've been a bit of a rut, so it was good to uh, to come out of that. But yeah, how are you doing, Edges? Yeah, good. I was, I was at the game on Saturday. Uh, watched uh, Arsenal Newcastle. Um which is which is good, good result for us two 0 Obviously, you were very happy about that result as well. I've mm. been telling a lot of people at my, my actual day to day job, as I've said multiple times on this podcast. Believe it or not, I'm not a full time podcaster, and I'm not an author, nor am I an actor. Even mm. though that you know, I do give off signals and signs that I may well be. I actually have a normal <laughs> um, desk job day to day, and like you know, on a call, like, I don't know how it came up. Someone was like, "Oh, like you know," I think I said, "Oh, yeah, actually, a football podcast," and like. I feel like a lot of people have actually tuned in and I think depending on the app, they'll see a very different side to me. Uh, probably, the side, probably the side that you've seen when Arsenal go 2 nil down away at Brighton, um, <laughs> which, 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 which isn't really, which, is, which isn't really a side anyone wants to be around. Mm. Uh, but apart from that weekend was good. Uh, went out with a, a few of my friends on the weekend, uh, which, which was enjoyable. Um, Sunday I watched, uh, <laughs> I watched uh, the Super Sunday games, uh, Brentford, uh, Everton and Man United, Chelsea. I actually started mouthing off right at Burnley Tottenham because I said, ah, oh, Burnley, Premier League club, how come they don't have undersaw heating? Because obviously the game got called off. I was like, absolutely ridiculous. They don't spend money on players, really. How can they not afford undersaw heating as a Premier League club? Because, <laughs> hello, these clubs make so much money. Apparently the snow was that mad. The undersaw heating was, has been on all week. But it's just that the snow was so heavy so quickly that it didn't really matter how hot the pitch was. The snow was just settling. Um, yeah, so- I saw some people tweet about this as well. Um, I think it was Duncan Alexander. He might have been taking the mic, but basically saying that, well, undersoil heating is meant to kind of thaw frozen ground, not melt snow. I suppose it could do both. But if you melt snow rapidly as it's coming down, it's going to end up with a waterlogged pitch, aren't you? So, oh, unless they've got drainage, who knows? Maybe we'll do it. We'll do an episode with the groundsman. That'd be quite interesting, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, wouldn't be. It wouldn't be too bad, mate. My old flatmate actually at uni, uh, his cousin was a groundsman at Arsenal. Oh, nice. Yeah, funnily, actually, funnily enough, I, I put a disclaimer. This is Y Football exclusive. He said that Cesc Fabregas was refusing to come to training 
which is why he left. He was on strike. That's insider knowledge, mate. So to all of you out there, if you want wipe up the exclusives, you have to listen in weekly. Uh, uh, I thought I thought you were going to tell me that he left because he wasn't in in favour of the under, undersoil heating at the training ground or something. But... <laughs> I'm not playing with that undersoil heating. No, no, I think Cesc Fabregas leaving was a lot deeper than that. But you never know. <laughs> undersoil heating may have been involved. But um, moving on to the topic of climate change which is a, a very deep topic indeed mm. why did you uh, decide to look into this episode um well as we've seen i mean the fallout from cop 26 has been fairly recent um obviously the conference in glasgow that all the world leaders got together we saw boris johnson falling asleep which was amusing but also quite sad um and yeah the, the world is slowly waking up to the effects of um climate change as being one of the most talked about topics in, in recent weeks, you know, there's a, a kind of one of the fallouts from COP26 is uh, a plea generally um, to keep global temperatures, uh, a, a global temperature increase, should I say, at below 1.5 degrees. Otherwise, we could lead, uh, that could lead to severe um, and irreversible consequences. You know, whether, whether events become the norm and parts of the world will eventually uh, vanish underwater, which is, um, which is not good at all for many reasons. Um, but it's obviously these, that's terrible in any case, but also, you know, it has, you know, effects on football, obviously it will affect everyone, but football clubs around the world will be affected by these consequences. Um, but, you know, football isn't just a victim, but a major con- contributor in terms, in terms of carbon emissions. Um, and now that generally is becoming widely accepted in society, that change needs to happen. We're starting to see, you know, even things like vegan related food being advertised and the advertise the old marketing campaigns kind of centering around climate change which is good because it's kind of showing that consumer behavior is changing in that regard in certain industries um but even football is now finally responding it might be responding because it has to because of pressure and um, which we'll come on to um but either way it's still at least sending messages out that it wants to change um, and promote the cause uh brentford recently announced they will be retaining their their same kit so the kit they have this year um for next season um one of the reasons for that is climate change another one is to apparently uh, save their their fans money um which to be fair i don't think it's a bad initiative because realistically you don't need to have a new kit every year <laughs> um but you know fans do like having new kits um other clubs such as forest green rovers um, and mines they've been you know taking efforts for a number of years to reduce their carbon footprints um and so they should be applauded for that uh but it looks as if you know realistically the rest of the game needs to follow suit so this episode really is looking at you know the carbon cost of football in its current form the effects of climate change uh, and what they will have on the game and um you know and i look at what if any um are the world's major competitions doing to help tackle the crisis yeah i think um it's good it's good on brentford for doing it because look sunderland celtic Liverpool, like Real Madrid, what are you changing to your home kits? They're hard. They're <laughs> hardly changing. Like Barcelona, oh, we got rid of the hoops for like the side patterns, and Real Madrid is like, oh, we're wearing white with white with white again. It's the same thing, you know. Like, and it's just, it, it it's annoying mm. that, and you'll see this a lot during this episode because it's something I'm fairly passionate about, quite passionate about. I'd say, is that like. It's always the smaller clubs that are pioneers and these sorts of things. And it's always, but the real issues are the huge clubs, you know, the Barca's, the Real Madrid's, the Bayern Munich's, the Man mm. United's, the Chelsea's, and they're not doing enough. Like you're getting all sorts of gear, three kits, 
different home kits. <laughs> I think Napoli have another special kit to uh, to commemorate Maradona. Maradona. Yeah. Then all of the training tops. There's there's a home training tops, away training tops, Europe training tops. Like it's just it, what match day gear, towels, also, and it's just it's it's just, it's just too much. And I think you know a lot of these big clubs they pat themselves in the back. So I think Sky Ocean Rescue teamed up because with the football team because they managed to produce um uh what's it called like recyclable shirts for like one game and then everyone's oh yeah we've done like like, really really good stuff but it needs Mm. to be more than that um so i'm happy to see that brentford are doing that but you know it's manufacturers as well and yeah we'll come on to that a little bit later but um yeah I, i would be shocked if another premier league side followed brentford suit that that's if that's what i'm saying at the moment yeah, no, you are you are not wrong. So, moving on to kind of for the first section of this, which is football, basically the carbon emitter uh, and its past. We're really ask, asking a question here: Does football care about its carbon footprint, and is it going to be doing enough um, to tackle that? Um, so, think about that first question. Historically, no, um, football has not cared about its carbon footprint, but realistically, nor has the world. You know, the world as a whole has slept on this issue. I don't think we could lambast football for being exclusively. Um, you know, irresponsible in terms of its carbon emissions, even though it has been. Um, you know, a lot of other industries have done that. A lot of other, industry, other industries um, have been a lot worse in terms of waste um, and certainly have checkered paths in that regard. Um, we'll talk shortly about what football is trying to do to reduce its carbon footprint, uh, footprint, but the game is still trying to expand. And I mean, we look at all these initiatives, you talked about one before, and we'll go on to it. But the game is still trying to expand. Um, and the bodies that run the world's major competitions uh, competitions are still trying to get richer. You know, So if we think about FIFA and their competitions. The 2010 FIFA World Cup in South Africa produced 2.7 million tonnes of carbon. The 2014 World Cup in Brazil produced 2.16 million tonnes. And the 2018 World Cup uh, in Russia produced 2.18 million tonnes of carbon, which is... I mean, we do, it's hard with these sort of things to have a frame of reference. Is that a lot? I don't know. It sounds a lot. And well, it probably is. Yeah, it's one of those ones where I've obviously I've started to throw in some figures mm. to kind of uh, get some context as to how much that is. So roughly a million tons of carbon is flying from London to Cape Town 376,000 times uh, or charging 320 wow. or 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 charging 321 billion smartphones or producing 4.4 million laptops. Uh, It's always (laughs) hard to put context into it because one one of the other facts I read was, you know, one million meat eaters going vegan for a year, but it's just so hard to like contextualize that. Mm. But I think, yeah, flying from London to Cape Town, which is a a long, long flight, uh, that constantly. and uh, Because don't forget, these World Cups are two weeks. So it's like... All of that carbon dioxide emitted in such a short period of time is mm, very not, awful, not, yeah. not 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 brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got to love those statistics. To be fair, absolutely love a good reference like that. And because uh, yeah, but that's the thing; it's hard when people throw these numbers around. You don't really know, you know, what does one ton versus what, and one million ton actually mean for the environment and in terms of the damage. Also, how what does it actually take to offset that? And we'll talk about that later on in terms of the offsetting point, but. Um, or how skewed offsetting can be is a, a rhetoric from uh, organizations like FIFA. But again, how do you quantify that? You know, if you're supporting a tournament that produces roughly 1 million on average tons, um, 1 million tons of carbon on average, what does that really mean in terms of offsetting? What's it going to take to get that back out the atmosphere? It's so hard. And think, so three quarters of um, 
the amount on average for each of those World Cups um, is supporters traveling to games. So is your fans traveling by plane to Cape Town or wherever um, to visit the uh, the country that's hosting and um, to watch the games? And so that is such a significant amount. Moving on to UEFA. So again, uh, you know, UEFA um, have signed up to um, the UN a uh, UN resolution, which we'll come on to talk about, um, but are still expanding their com- competitions and doing so so aggressively. So the Europa Conference League kicked off this season. Bad timing, I would say, from the climate point of view, um, and has increased the number of group matches in UEFA club competitions overall to 288, a 20% rise. Uh, that's despite the Europa League group stage being reduced from 48 teams to uh, 32. We've got the expansion of the Champions League, which is going to be effective from the 2024-25 season, which will mean 180 group games up from 96, which is an 87.5% increase. In the period between 2020 and 21 season and the 2024-25 season, a bit of a mouthful there, there will be a 55% increase in the total number of group matches in major European club competitions, which means more games, more people traveling, uh, you know, all these fixtures include plane travel. If it's not just the team, it's the fans as well. Um, so when we're talking about the the kind of expansion of European competition, we really are talking some of the more um, some of the more harmful uh, of expansions. If the Premier League was to double its size, it possibly wouldn't be as um, detrimental. So there's interesting BBC article actually on the Europa Conference League that I referenced. So. Um, in the Europa Conference League, eighty-five percent of group games are between teams at least one thousand kilometres apart, which is mad. Yeah, it's mad. It's truly mad. The average distance travelled per team in the group stage is five thousand five hundred seventy-eight kilometres. Um, that is almost identical to flying from London to New York uh, across the entire group stage. Um, that would give each person travelling an average footprint of one thousand kilograms of CO two. Um, per person, 19 teams have to travel more than 5,000 kilometers in total for their group games. 42 games involve trips of 2,000 kilometers or more. 11 teams have to travel more than 1,500 kilometers for each of their away games. Again, all these things, hard to put into context if you're just listening to that in referencing points, um, but all significant trips. And, you know, we had, what, England, two English teams playing in Baku a number of years ago, Arsenal and Chelsea. We had two English teams playing in Porto. They were due to play elsewhere, and there was calls to bring them, bring them back to play in London, um, but they they didn't. And so we had this unnecessary travel. It just seems that we're just burning carbon for the sake of playing football matches. The, the problem with football is this: football wants to increase its global reach. Football wants to increase where it's being viewed all around the world, but but it can't coexist with climate change. Like I understand, I, I do understand having finals in Baku as an Arsenal fan. It wasn't ideal for me to go there I didn't go there in the end but I understand that there is a mm. western hold on football you know it shouldn't always be the case that we have all of the finals and all the big tournaments in England Italy Spain you know places like Romania Russia um, other places in Europe as well further east and even places like Baku do deserve and Tbilisi and mm. Georgia they do deserve to see these tournaments I think the second point which is a problem is the reason why they can't coexist is we want football to be further reaching, which means more CO2 emissions. We want more games, or at least FIFA thinks so. So there's more, there's the Nations League, the World Cup is expanding, the European Conference has come in. There's more tournaments, more football. And you can't, you can, you can't suddenly make everyone walk to the, to the, to the event 
like it's not going to work mm. so emissions have to increase so when yeah. when you're saying oh we're, we're going to try and tackle this we're going to try and tackle that it's 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 impossible because you're seeking to increase the competition so therefore are they it's it's impossible basically and i think football as a whole as a sport leader kind of has to do more and try and tackle it in that sense but i don't see how because all of their plans are just to saying okay we're going to make it even bigger than it was before you know the global warming stuff can take a back seat for the time being and you know football plays a massive role in it some people would argue against this but a massive role in kind of being role models for people in terms of they look up to footballers they look up to football clubs they, they follow their clubs if they could see the effects on their club long term in terms of their club might be underwater or they might be affected significantly by climate change they might act differently so the messaging can be really powerful around that in terms of using that platform that football already has to send a powerful message not the, the opposite of we're going to increase our games you know what we need is le- less consumer consumerism in this crisis not more and that's what football is doing um so uefa's website states that it places a special emphasis on promoting climate action within the scope of its competitions um but as we just said that seems like nonsense it has faced criticism for the conference the europa conference league going ahead and uh even hosting the euros across multiple nations this summer um obviously these are decided years prior and you could argue that the, the kind of interest around climate change is intensified so should we be looking at their decisions now not in the past but at the same time you know it doesn't matter They're, as you said the world isn't going to stop for us so um it's crazy so there's also a very powerful uh, t4 football video um you know i don't always go about advertising other media publications in the podcast but this is a really powerful video that um i think i implore people to watch um but they talked about a study done by fluminese in 2014 um, Fluminense calculated that their club emits 2,500 tons per year of carbon emissions. That includes spectator travel. Um, TIFO kind of it's kind of on the back of a fag packet rough maths, but they adjusted the average for the Premier League based on kind of a rich Western com- country that they have higher CO2 and higher waste on average. Um, the Premier League, so they adjusted it for Premier League. Premier League attracts more spectators, so based on all those things, chucked into the melting, chucked into the melting pot. They calculated that the Premier League emits roughly 200,000 tons um, of CO2 per year. Yeah, I don't know about some of those claims that TIFA have made because the the estimate for the Premier League, I think, is too low. For example, the thing with all of these, right, is you don't know the calculations that go in the assumptions that are made. But Fluminense are a team in what Brazil, and as a result, their fans, Brazil is a very big country, but they're nowhere near as international as a Premier League side. So I would love to know the calculations as to how they've actually done it because you've got fans for every big team, and I think it's trickling down even more, that are travelling miles, as in across countries. We saw the people that are coming from New York to watch Tottenham against Burnley. I don't, <laughs> yeah. How are you calculating the emissions cost? I know Brazil is huge. So, for example, you know Brazil is probably 15 times the size of England, maybe more. But how far is the average tra- fan actually traveling? But then when the Premier League being so global, uh, I'm not so sure in those figures. Um, then it's obviously the emissions that, you know, the cars and the cars would be different here to in Brazil as well. I don't know about coach travel. To be fair, we do have the tube, which is more economically friendly. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure on that one from TIFO because the, the number does look quite low. But it's still overall it's very high i think because the numbers i'm seeing with climate change are so high overall that that sticks to me as quite a low number even though two hundred thousand is actually mad in itself but um yeah you know what tifo normally 
are on the money. So maybe I'll speak mm. to Alex Stewart himself and find out. <laughs> you might. Um, but yeah, and that, even that, that um, yeah, the Burnley, the, the fan that came from America to Burnley, Tottenham, that was then called off. But then even that, like, you know, again, you know, people shouldn't, I'm not saying people should sit in their house with the lights off and just, you know, pretend that, you know, or just not live their lives. But, you know, Carrie Kane came out afterwards and said that he thought it was amazing that they'd done that and was so saddened for them that the game was called off and was offered, like, for them to be a guest at their next home game. Why are you championing that, though? That's because really, that's, <laughs> that is against, you know, what we're all, you know, what we're talking about here. And it, again, it's difficult because what, you know, that, what well, that fan shouldn't come to the game. Yeah, exactly. It's it, one of those. Yeah, but in a crisis, arguably they shouldn't. But if they do it once off, it's not a big. It's arguably not a big deal if that's a substitute for their usual holidays that everyone and they're really economically friendly. You know, it depends on the on the person, I suppose. But they so T four took the same logic, the kind of rough, kind of their calculations that um, you mentioned. They factored that into every competition on, on planet using the kind of the, the different ratios and factoring for each kind of country and how maybe it's how um, in comparison to the to, to Brazil and in comparison to UK, how wasteful is that country in terms of CO2 and other things. And they kind of roughly suggested that football is emitting around 10 million tons of carbon per year, which would make it the same as Tunisia. Um, it's a little bit of a kind of shock calculation. They are like shock tactics from T4, but um, yeah, it's a pretty damning, damning figure. Yeah, and I think um, that hurricane point kind of ties into exactly what I'm going on about. Like, you can't champion global reach with football, and it's a very difficult bridge to cross. And then say we're trying to tackle climate change. Because, yeah, who am I to say you can't come from Bangkok to watch Tottenham play? That's your right as a fan. Hmm. There has to be a discussion around... How do we tackle climate change then? I'm not saying that fans in Bangkok shouldn't come to football at all. I'm just saying that something has to give, right? I don't know whether it's incentives for fans at home, because, yeah, if you're doing it once a year, that's fine. What about all of the fans in the UK? You know, we can come on to that a bit later on. But I just think that football is trying to do two things. They're trying to get more money, expand competitions, become bigger, have more reach. But then also saying we want to tackle climate change. And I just don't see how both can coexist. You know, I haven't really seen any measures that are saying, oh, we're going to tackle climate change, we're doing X, or fans that come from Bangkok are on flights that offset this, or even if they are doing that because it's on their holidays, you know, with our home fans, we've got all of these initiatives to help tackle climate change and waste and all sorts, but I've not seen any of that, which is which is part of the problem. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, moving on now to kind of the effects of climate change on football, um, again, I referenced the uh, T4 football vid because it is that powerful, um, but I will kind of canter over this. So the main and the most direct impact of climate change on football is flooding and loss of land, um, mostly, actually mostly effects in the UK and potentially other areas uh, of low-lying uh, Europe, such as the Netherlands. Um, I mean, T4 predict that by 2050, 23 of the current 92 English football league teams can expect partial or total annual flooding of um, their stadium a number of Dutch teams as well. Um, you know, I remember actually even from being a bit younger, um, Carlisle's not too far from where I grew up, and I remember when the flooding happened at, uh, in 2015 uh, at Brunton Park because of Storm Desmond. Um, and, yeah, the, cl- the club was forced out of the stadium, had to pay huge costs, the insurance premiums went up, um, and then flooded the training ground, then flooded again on the car park in 2017. Um so I mean they I mean so Collar, for example, are an extreme example of 
of how an English football club is affected. They would probably suffer. They're in kind of they're in high flood risk areas anyway. They'd probably suffer flooding, you know, within so many years over a period of time, um, quite frequently. But they're just an example of what you know. Their case study is what will happen to more and more teams over time as more and more parts of the UK, more 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 parts of the world become susceptible to flooding. Um, and you know they were forced out the stadium. You know the entire f- the ground is practically ruined. I mean, I think one of the, the one of the uh, one of the clubs that is a, could be affected by partial flooding in Netherlands is Ajax. So you think okay, the Amsterdam Arena surely is better equipped <laughs> to deal with it. Um, although it probably wasn't built with that in mind. So that's one thing to consider. But you'd think a, a big modern stadium would possibly have better defenses or just be more equipped. Um, but it's just Carlisle, just such a, a, an example of. Um, you know what the future can hold, and I mean, whole city and Cardiff City's ground um, will, <laughs> according to Tifa, will be entirely underwater by 2050, and Grimsby's ground will sit below the North Sea. I mean, that's just damning statistics. Um, so it's it's mad, and also going away from flooding, we've got you know the increasing global temperatures will mean that more matches are played at high temperatures, um, increasing the risk of like heat cramps, etc., making it quite dangerous to be playing. Um, you know, we had like the, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics where some events were had to move from the city. I mean, that's a farce, really. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying they shouldn't have been awarded the games, but the fact you're having to move events across the world um, or different parts of the region just so they could be just so they could actually be playable um, is crazy. Yeah, when we're looking at it from that lens, you're right. You make some really good points, but the focus is often on Western ball where the money is there to... Obviously, you can, if the land is underwater doesn't really matter how much money you have you mm. can't really raise it but I often think about the countries you know uh, South Asia which has extremely flat land I know cricket is a dominant sport there but people do still play football there and they're massive football fans mm. you know they have terrible flooding in Bangladesh and as well as India then you folks in Africa where you've got issues of drought and how that would affect football pitches and how that affect traveling to games you know I think even in the Americas as well South America would struggle with that being on the equator line, I think it's it's something which will affect a lot more people than we actually think. Mm. And it's something, you know, where the, a lot of these countries won't have the money to fix it. And it's also a problem which just ultimately can't really be fixed. You know, if the, if the Amsterdam arena is underwater, I don't really know what they're going to be doing. They're not going to be able to dig it out, are they? So it's, yeah, mm. it's a, a real problem which I think needs more focus. But I think... It's a very head in the sand case. People think ah, it can't really happen to Western Europe nations. It can't really happen to England. It can't really happen to, you know, a lot of these countries and teams, which is why the TIFA video is so eye-opening because it kind of showed, you know, you know, if things get a lot worse than they already are, then it could very well end up being some of the biggest clubs that we know on earth. How is football trying to lower its carbon footprint, if at all? Um so FIFA are now a signatory of the United Nations Framework Convention um, on Climate Change, Sports for Climate Action Framework, very long-winded there, um, but it's basically the Sports for Climate Action uh, Framework, including the International uh, Olympic Committee have also signed up to that. Um, and basically the framework is a pledge to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2040 um, and a 50% reduction by uh, 2030. Um, FIFA Council member, Isha Johansson um, gave a keynote speech at COP26 and Gianno, Gianni Infantino gave a video address, which I just thought was such like a, such a sinister thing to do. It's like Dr. Evil on the screen in front of all the delegates. I just thought like, you are just like the bad guy. But um, 
Yeah, he unveils FIFA's climate strategy, which intends to work on a reduction plan to tackle what it calls the three emission hotspots. Um, travel, logistics, and accommodation. No gold star for that one of Germany, Matt. Um, so the, yeah, the strategy says it will also, FIFA will also review regulations and requirements around FIFA's tournaments uh, and events to ensure best practice in terms of climate change and has, ple- has pledged to develop a methodology for measuring greenhouse gas emissions related to its tournaments and preliminary competitions. Quite wishy-washy statements, to be honest. Um, Michelle Uber. UEFA's Director of Football Social Responsibility said that UEFA um, are building their own sustainable event management system with 18 parameters applied to every competition. I tried to Google this and couldn't really find much about it. Um, maybe it's still in development. It's Again, these are all just like long names for big bureaucratic systems that, you know, big long dossiers that look like someone's doing something, but actually when you probably get between the lines, you realize it's actually just too overly complicated for the for, for to be applied or doesn't actually do what it says on the tin who knows um so but i mean some actions have taken place you wait for trialed an app at the 2016 euros allowing fans to offset their own emissions um but the ticket was low that was just for fans who were traveling to the, to, uh, the tournament um and UEFA absorbed the entire carbon offsetting cost for the 2020 euros themselves in terms of the aviation cost um I'm not too sure if that's just in terms of the, of the aviation cost for the playing teams or is for the aviation cost as a whole based on estimates. Um, but I mean, I'm going to talk a lot on <laughs> offsetting shortly um, because it's just a bit of a grey area. Um, the Premier League and the Lawn Tennis Association um, have said that their comprehensive sustainability strategies will be launched uh, next year. Um, but some clubs, you know, as I, said, I mentioned earlier, as you mentioned, that just the smaller clubs have taken cl- uh, matters into their own hands. Forest Green Rovers, uh, the first UN certified carbon neutral football club. Um, in 2010, Mines became the first club in the world to achieve climate neutrality, which uh, I think means they were the first climate neutral or carbon neutral club, but don't have the UN certifications. What how I kind of understood that difference there. Um, Real Betis have got measures that they have uh, implemented in terms of promoting. Um, a greener existence. They call it Forever Green as they play in white and green. PSG and UV have signed up to the UN framework I mentioned before. Um, not that PSG and UV are ever the good guys in football. And the Bundesliga is aiming to become the first carbon neutral football league. So there are, there's, there's basically murmurings from the footballing world and pledges. We're at the stage where we're pledging, which is probably what was like a COP1 and now we're at COP26. So maybe <laughs> in 20 years' time, we'll see some real action from football. I think you could literally have cut out like two minutes of what you just said about the fifth member stuff because it's just all nonsense. Like people <laughs> just throwing all these hot these buzzwords. Like, for example, what is net zero? What is being carbon neutral? What is your framework? Um, what are the goals you're setting for 2020? How far do you have to go to get there? What are your goals for 2030? How far do you have to get there? Mm. Yeah, stuff. I could I could say I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna run a two minute mile in 2024. How the hell am I gonna get there? Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, like yeah, yeah, I've got the framework. Yeah, is the framework actually gonna work? Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's the problem with football is there are a lot of companies, a lot of companies that I've looked into that are aiming to be net zero, and the ones which are gonna get there are the ones which have been carbon neutral for well over a decade. Well over. I'm talking. I looked into mm. Sky for my day job uh, disclaimer, and they were carbon <laughs> neutral in 2006. 
now they've been making huge progress in terms of cutting down their emissions year on year and and 2030 is feasible for them to become net zero you can't go mm. zero to 100 i you know with, with the numbers that football are throwing out there and the lack of care or understanding that seems to be coming from a club level I just don't see how they're going to be coming down all the way to net zero in 2030. I think 2030 and 2040, these like buzzwords that everyone's trying to adhere to because of COP26 and because of governments. I think when we get to that year, you'll see a lot of countries scratching their heads and they'll they'll blame some other issue as to why. They'll probably try and blame COVID, to be honest, and say, yeah, because of COVID, we couldn't reach those goals. But it's frustrating because where is the action? Again, Forest Green, clubs like that, uh, Raul Betis, Mines, that's when you're seeing physical action. But when I'm hearing we've got framework, it's like, okay, what is, am I going to be hearing the same thing in 10 years' time? So, yeah, I'm not filled with hope with football. No, I mean, FIFA um, developed this framework, all this rhetoric, but they want to what they want to they want to expand the world cup 64 teams they want to do it every two years they want to they've got what was it the 2026 or the 2030 that's going to be held in the usa mexico and canada mm. that's a that's going to be like the that's going to be like the record <laughs> carbon emission yeah. carbon emitting world cup of all time and yet that's going to be that's right in the middle of their plans and the thing is with these statements that it happens across the board in all industries is that like something like 2030 and particularly 2040 and in particular 2050 is too far in the future for the people who are currently in charge to be culpable. They know they're not going to be, you know, the people who are making these, these um, or starting these initiatives at FIFA, they're not going to be in those positions in 20 years. So for them, it just means nothing. They're not going to be there. So it's just mad. But the actual, the, the investment, the, the investment potential of a, of a World Cup every two years in the short term is going to make them a lot of money. So they're obviously championing that as well. So, so yeah, so I mean, to wrap this up, um, a discussion really is football doing enough? Uh, kind of what, what can it do? I think if football is doing enough, it's a difficult question. Well, it's, it's not doing enough, um, to be honest. But I think one of the key things relating to climate change, what you see with a lot of organizations and a lot of industries, is referring to kind of this idea of carbon offsetting, which is such a gray area. So reducing or having an impact on reducing climate change needs to be about reducing carbon emissions, which means it's just... Sadly for us all, it does mean reducing consumerism. I know it's not about, again, sitting in your house and turn the lights off, but it means less games. It just means less, it means less games. It means less events because that means less carbon, not just offsetting, you know, because offsetting can mean anything. It can mean planting trees. It can be, I mean, it can mean investing in sustainable projects that are going to take place over the few, next few years. What if those projects fail, you know, a newly planted tree can take as many as 20 years to capture the amount of CO2 that a carbon offset scheme promises. That's a long time. And if that trope, that, that tree, um, once it dies, is at risk of, of actually re-emitting um, the carbon that it stores. You know, So it, it does actually have a good effect, obviously, in that time it's alive. Um, and, you know, without trees on our planet, we'd all be doomed. So, you know, not saying we should have more trees and we shouldn't invest in sustainable projects. But I just feel as if football is responding because it feels it has to, rather than actually instilling a promising drastic change. Because, you know, even the Premier League is trying to play games abroad. You know that's not good for the planet, but it doesn't care, and it's got all these projects and offset schemes. But realistically, in the short term, it's not going to be reducing carbon. It's actually increasing. We need to be talking about a reduction, not an increase in events and games. But you know, it generates revenue. So ultimately, revenue comes number top of the priority. Climate change is it number two? I don't even know if it's even number two. But yeah, even if it is, it's a it's a distant two. It's like it's like 
Liverpool being 95 points, top of the Premier League, and no number two having 60 points, it's nowhere near. Yeah, no, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably 10th in the list, knowing the way football's going. But I think mm. football can do so much more. You know, I went to the game on Saturday. There's there's things around reusable plastics at games. You know, the incentives that clubs are... Where are what are clubs doing to even recycle the stuff that they have? That's very hush-hush. You know, a lot of these plastics end up in landfill, which ends up in our oceans. The ocean is the biggest mm. absorber of CO2. So when we're talking about global warming and emissions, that's what we need to protect. When these plastics are being damaged or damaging marine life, which helps protect our seagrass and sea moss mm. and our coral reefs, this is this all linked towards football. You know, too much merchandise ends up as waste. Better economical travel. Why are Arsenal flying 14 minutes to Norwich or Man United 16 minutes <laughs> to, to Leicester? You know, new boots, all these players have new boot deals and new F50s and new F40s and new F20s and new F10s and new F120s. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's all waste. And for incentives to fans, you know, a lot of these coffee companies, Starbucks and Waitrose, they, what is it, cheaper coffees if you have those reusable cups. Football don't do that. And the thing is, fans are probably quite interested because pints at grounds are expensive. Mm. <laughs> They're way too expensive. If someone said, oh, you know, two pounds off if you have your own, I don't know, Stein or something, then, you know, that would help um, in terms of bringing down the waste and the cost. You know, I think it's much, there's so much more that can be done, but often it's it's a big media campaign and marketing campaign, which is like, hey, we've done, I think Spurs had a carbon neutral game. Yes, yeah, that's, that's great. But like, you mm. know, there's a strategy going forward. Like, what is it that you're going to do next? Like, you know, even I can do more, but, you know, you're looking towards these big companies to really set the standard, but they don't want to unless they're forced and they're not really going to be forced because, as you said, two things can't coexist. You can't say we want to include, increase our global reach. We want to have more fans. We want to have more merchandise. We want to do more tours. We want to do all of this stuff to increase our brand, but then also say, no, 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 but we really want to cut our carbon emissions. I find it very hard to see how both can coexist like that. And, you know, there are people smarter than me involved in these clubs. I haven't seen the framework. I haven't seen the plans. Then say, oh, just, you know what? We can do all of those things and also bring down our emissions with, you know, better transport and um, economically friendly merchandise. But I haven't seen any of that whatsoever. I think football, it, football is doing very little. So I think the scope for it to do more is, is very easy. And whether they do that or not, waits to be seen. It's just a sad state of affairs, really. Um, hopefully, FIFA will get on board. UEFA will get on board with the fact that we just don't need more football games. Um, I guess it's come to the fore more in recent weeks, even. You know, a lot of the source studies for this um, this podcast, the research, um, were from you know studies and articles that only really came out in the last couple of months. You know, I think if we did this episode when we started in 2020, I think it would have been a much more challenging uh, thing to run because a lot of these pro- these, a lot of these projects these frameworks everything that we just talked about which are largely um wishy-washy and just ju- talking gestures uh, talking gestures and in, in parts you know they didn't exist uh, in 2020 so that's where it makes me think are they just responding to pressure because they're suddenly the consumer has become a little bit more concerned about climate change they need consumers to consume their their goods and to buy their products so they're going to respond you know as you said spurs that talking gesture game where they just carbon neutral, then the rest of the operation is, is just, is not, you know, good for the environment. So, so yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think we'll wrap up there. It's quite a long one today, but a very, very important topic that I'm, 
I'm surprised we haven't covered already. But then, as I said, you know, I just I honestly think if we'd done this in April 2020 when we started, it would have been a much more challenging podcast to put together because. I think even back then, the world was still rubbish in claims. Back then, Donald Trump was still saying it was a waste of time, which just is mad. Um, but at least we've got some movement, I suppose. Um, but yeah, thanks all for listening this this week. Um, continue to subscribe with us on all our podcast uh, platforms. And we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys.